here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Hello, folks. It's your captain speaking. That's Sean Zock, not Dylan DeChair, but he is here on this call. <laughs> I am captaining this podcast. It is a President's Cup preview. We have Trevor Immelman joining us in just a little bit. That's the true captain, Sean. That is my captain, your captain, our captain, the international team's captain. It's kind of like, it's kind of catchy to to take on the underdogs, right? During during these big team events, especially when the Americans are heavy favorites. That's just what we're doing. It might be cliche, but having talked to the actual captain, he got me all riled up and excited about this event. So uh, he talked to us for what? 30 minutes, Dylan? He was very generous with his time. Made me made me very glad I got up at 5.30 a.m. Seattle time <laughs> to chat with the captain. Um, yeah, Trevor was great. Sweet. Well, before we get to Trevor, I'd like to tell people about the shirt I'm wearing, the sweatshirt you're wearing, the person you played with recently. Can you kick that off? Yes. Friend of the program, RJ Mankey. Uh, we did a little Radmore outing the other day. We went over to Bainbridge Island, which is a sweet ferry ride um, from Seattle. Just takes you about 30 minutes to get over there. I was just there for the wedding of my good friend, good friends, Pat and Kenzie, actually. Shout out to them. But, Sean, different occasion with my friend RJ, Jermaine Curse from the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, oh, and, no, Jermaine. And Greg Bodine, who was formerly Tony Finau's caddy. We had quite the foursome over there. Sean, I went over and uh, I got my ass beat because Radmore <laughs> athlete R.J. Mankey is a hitter. Uh, yeah. Kid had played this course one time before when he was 12 on his return to wing point, shot 62. Uh, and I was, afterward, I was tallying him up. I was like, hey, you want to you keep this scorecard? He was like, nah, that's all right. <laughs> so... RJ Mankey, keep your keep your eyes out for the kid on the Corn Ferry Tour and keep your eyes out for what he's wearing because most importantly, Sean, that's what he's got on. Radmore gear. If you want to look as fresh as a guy shooting 62, no sweat. If you want to look as fresh as Sean Zock, newly a 7.3 handicap index, go to radmoregolf.com. Enter code DROPZONE for 25% off. We're going to have a giveaway coming up. Uh, I'm hoping next week we've got to get our act together. But beat the rush while there's still stock. Go to RadmoreGolf.com. What did you shoot? Uh, I shot like 73. Like 73. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was like a the, the first hole. The first hole right away, RJ hit it to about um, eight feet with his second shot. It was a par five. So mm. I was then behind a tree, tried to go for it in two, hit it in the water you know, was not like, was not exactly holing out on every hole. Hmm. So, you know, when I tallied him up, it got to about 71 or 72, but I, I think that would be inaccurate. How about Jermaine Curse's game? Did he, did he tell you that I got him in the magazine? No, he did ago? not. <laughs> He's in golf magazine with Steven Hauschka, NFL kicker. Uh, gosh, four years ago, maybe five years ago. Yeah, shout out to the Nescac. Yeah, Brian Mogg was their coach. He came over. They they all flew over uh, to New York City, and I think Hauschka was kicking for the 
Bills at that time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I got them all in the magazine for a little like NFL athlete golf obsession, what you can learn from athletes sort of package. And I got Jermaine Curse's cell number and I texted him and he never texted me back. <laughs> so always kind of nice yep. to figure out where you stand on the totem pole of yep. of celebrities. No, that's important. That's, that's an important uh, check. But n- nice player. Jermaine plays to about a five. So, you know, Damn. come on so out. Beat me. We'll get out there. Get out there for a little match. All right, Sean. Without further ado, should we send it to Trevor? Yes, Trevor Immelman, the captain of the international team at this week's President's Cup. President's Cup captain Trevor Immelman. Trevor, thank you for joining us. I think you've been doing a lot of media in the run-up to this thing. You've known you've been captain for a long time. How anxious are you to just get this thing started? Yeah, we're getting there for sure. Uh, First of all, it's great to join you guys and talk a little golf. It's my favorite thing to do. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's been a long process with a lot of ups and downs and, um, it, it does feel like there's a little bit of relief, uh, and excitement, maybe even a little anxiety in there as we're getting closer and closer. Uh, but yeah, counting down the days now, uh, can see it, see it right in front of us. So looking forward to it. One thing that I think is going to dominate the media headlines, and this will be a fault of our own. It's just your team is going to be called underdogs. And I don't necessarily think that you should be underdogs to the extent that people will label you such uh, because elite golfers playing match play against each other often comes a lot closer than than people uh, believe it will. So if you were to give your pitch, though, for why it will be closer, why your team would win. Is there an obvious pitch that you can give? Uh, to my team, absolutely. To you guys, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's fair enough. Look, the pundits are going to be out there saying what whatever they want to say. And uh, if, if I was, you know, wearing my broadcasting hat, which is my other job, so to speak, uh, I would be giving my opinion as well and coming up with different reasons why I thought the result would be what it, what it's going to be. Uh, that would be my job in that moment. Uh, but really, as a team, uh, you know, the last few weeks has been extremely enjoyable as we've known exactly where we're at, uh, with who's wanting to be there, who's going to be playing. And so it really has been a great two or three weeks for us to uh, really cement the bonding process that we've been working on for the last couple of years, start to strategize and come up with a plan. Uh, but yeah, you know, we can't focus too much on what everybody else is saying. All we can do is try and focus on our preparation and how we think that we can fulfill our potential and get the best out of ourselves. But look, I don't think you have to be a genius to see that we're underdogs. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. You look at the roster of American players, their accomplishments, their experience, where they are in the world rankings. On paper, they absolutely are favorites. Uh, but, you know, you still got to go out there and play. And so we look forward to that opportunity to see how we stack up against the best. Is there part of that that's enjoyable then, Trevor, being the underdogs, being, you know, written off by a lot of the the golf pundit world? Um, is there is there an opportunity then to fire your guys up and, and have a little bit of uh, bulletin board material, I guess? There's no doubt about it. 
there's no doubt that that plays into it. Uh, takes a little pressure off, I would say. You know, it all depends on how each player reacts in the moment. It's going to be a very lively atmosphere playing on U.S. soil uh, uh, in Charlotte, which is a great sporting city. The build-out is just massive. Every time I get an update, see some photos, uh, or when I was on site just like a few days ago, I get blown away by just the magnitude of it. Um, the PGA Tour, uh, the staff that run the President's Cup, the Harris family, the members at Quail Hollow. I mean, they have gone all out through a lot of challenges in the last couple of years um, with COVID and all sorts of different things to really uh, produce what I think is going to be, uh, you know, one of the biggest golf events ever on American soil. So uh, there, there's so much to look forward to. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how each and every player reacts. Yeah. But yeah, look, there's there's no doubt that, uh, you know, when I go on Twitter for five minutes, read my timeline, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite interesting. Gives me a good chuckle every now yeah. and then. Um, every now and then it pisses me off as well. But uh, it's just one of those things. That what, it's what makes sport fun. It's one of the reasons why we all love it so much, whether you're competing, whether you're you know doing podcasting or writing or on TV. Uh, it's the beauty of it because you can see clear as day what you think a result may be, uh, but then you go out and play and sometimes it throws you a curveball and that's, that's why we love it and that's why we keep coming back. One thing you've been doing that I absolutely love and has frankly has warmed me up to cheering for the international team is you've been unafraid to get on Twitter and to maybe chide rigs from Barstool or Tron from No Laying Up or even me, I think at one point, like you're not afraid to say, come on guys, like we're here too. Uh, is that just your instincts taking over or how, how much have you had to avoid like going super deep on the social media front? I got to say, I don't really avoid it. I just, um, that's me. That's me being me. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a competitive guy at heart, obviously, um, you know, played pro golf for 20 years and, and saw a lot of different things. So uh, that fire absolutely burns down inside. But I like to have a little fun. And I think social media should be fun. Uh, you know, I appreciate it when, when people send messages. Sometimes uh, they, they're a little cheeky. Sometimes uh, they're a little mean. Sometimes they're supportive. And you just kind of roll with it. it. In a lot of ways, it depends what, what mood I'm in in the moment. You know, am, am, I, uh, am I a little bit irritable? <laughs> and has there been stuff going on that gets under my skin? And then, you know, I may open it up and see something and have a go at someone. Hey, that's just how I'm feeling in the moment. Other times, um, you know, I'm in a bit more of a playful mood and I want to go back and forth with, with uh, some guys like yourself that, that are, are uh, in the game and paying close attention. Uh, and, and sort of have the ear to the ground so I know there's um, a deeper knowledge, so to speak. Uh, and uh, so it just depends what <laughs> what kind of mood I'm in. But I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the back and forth. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't take myself too seriously at all. It's just a sport at the end of the day. Obviously, we're, we're preparing our butts off and we're going to fight till the death. But, uh, hey, it's just sport. And, and I love everybody that's paying attention, whether they, whether they think I'm an idiot or whether they think I'm a genius with things I say and the decisions I make, at least they're paying attention and uh, I can live with that. I can handle their opinion. 
Trevor, what has the the bonding process been like? Because uh, I mean, your team faces obvious obstacles. I guess you have guys from all over the world. You have uh, language barriers. How how is how has the process been trying to get these guys together um, over the last year plus? It's been a lot of fun. It's been the part that I've enjoyed the most. You know, we haven't had the tournament yet. So once we have the tournament, maybe that's the part I will have enjoyed the most. But so far with where we stand right here, uh, it's just been a ton of fun. Being able to get to know these players and their families. We've had a squad of about 25 over the last couple of years. And really that's been a process that we have, have focused closely on since 2018 or so mm. and the preparation for the 19 cup down in Australia it was one of the changes that Ernie Els made uh, that was long overdue and it was thoroughly appreciated uh, so we've kept that going and um, it's been fantastic and the downside really is you know like I said you've got this squad of 25 and you're going out to dinners and hanging out and get-togethers and you really start to get close with these players. And then all of a sudden the time came and I had to call a bunch of them and tell them they weren't going to be on the team. I mean, that was, that was brutal. Uh, just such a, a tough spot and tough few minutes, not just for me, but obviously more importantly for them because they've been putting so much work into trying to qualify for this team. And, uh, but, you know, I have to say the, the way all of those players handled it, and I think this goes back to talking about the bond that we've created over the last couple of years or really even more, more uh, extended period than that, about five years. But uh, the way they handled it, the, the, the class, the dignity, the immediate how can I help, how can I be of support, can I come to the event and cheer the guys on? Those sorts of responded uh, responses from a number of the players um, really did make me feel so good because it just showed how much they've bought into our system and our shield and the flag over the last few years. You were a assistant captain or vice captain, however people like to refer to it, down in Australia. Ernie was the the lead captain. What did you learn from him? that week now that I guess it's three years ago now long time ago but what did you uh, take away from that so much so much uh touched on it a little earlier there first of all he gave us an identity he gave us an identity with having a, a flag having a logo having team colors <laughs> i mean it sounds kind of ridiculous when you consider <laughs> that this event's been played since the early 90s and we we never we never had that and all that time, we were trying to be taken seriously. We were trying to be a real team, but we were missing some obvious pieces uh, <laughs> just that was right in front of us. And so he gave us that, and I thought that was an important hurdle for us to overcome. You know, you have players from seven, eight, nine different regions uh, as the international team, and we would all pitch up from different countries representing those countries. And in 2019, for the first time, we were representing the Shield. Mm -hmm. And so that was quite meaningful and powerful. So that was huge. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be known as the godfather of this team because of that for, from here on out. 
but so many things. His leadership style was very inspirational. His timing was impeccable. And what I mean by that is when he kept quiet and when he decided to actually say something mm. was just, he nailed it to a T. <laughs> now, whether he had planned that out or uh, was just going by feel, I haven't actually asked him that question, but it was just so perfect how he almost had a sixth sense as to when was the right time to say something to get these players to listen up and pay attention. Um, you know, we had an extremely young team. We had seven rookies down in Australia. And, uh, you know, he found a way to get those youngsters motivated and much the same as, you know, the President's Cup coming up next week. We were giant underdogs down in Australia and he just found a way to get those guys motivated through, you know, his, his physical presence and stature. I mean, he's a huge guy. Yes. Uh, and, and so when he walks in a room, it's impactful. But also the timing with, uh, with what he was saying to the guys was incredible. So I'm going to be uh, leaning on that. I learned a lot from that experience and from many other great leaders that I've been around and studied throughout the course of my life. And uh, I just hope to have the same great timing he had that week. Yeah. I want to talk about a couple of the specific guys on your team, but I, I think first, inevitably, we have to talk about a couple of guys that are not on your team um, because you faced a, a hurdle that, I mean, pretty much no captains have faced, at least in, in our lifetimes in, uh, in team golf, which is guys disqualifying themselves by leaving the PGA Tour um, that's put you in a seat that we've been in, I guess, of trying to figure out, okay, who's, who's going, which rumors are true. Are these guys on the fence? Can they be convinced to stay? Um, what has that process been like? It's been, uh, it's been tough. It's been very tough. I am thankful that all of those players in question were very open and honest with me exactly where they stood and where in the process they were. So I probably knew a little bit more than um, the general public out there. Uh, but still, nonetheless, it was tough to keep my mouth shut at times. It was tough as I was trying to figure out um, how I was going to make adjustments for uh, the situation that we were going to be in. But, you know, I'm uh, just like anything. Put the work in. You do the preparation. You... you, you um, Invest the time trying to study, okay, you can't dwell on where we would have been, can't uh, dwell on the players that are leaving. If we're in this situation now, how can I find the best way around this to put the collective and the international team in the best possible spot that they can be? And so I did that uh, with the help of a bunch of people starting right here at home with, with uh, my wife and kids. They were extremely supportive throughout the whole process uh, with me bouncing ideas off of them all of the time. And, uh, and then my vice captains, you know, those were the guys that I leaned on in, in those moments. And, uh, and we feel like we came up with a, an extremely uh, capable 12 players that uh, have a huge mountain in front of them, but are, are hungry to give, give it a go. Were there any surprises from that process. I mean, I, I'm just thinking from a, from a selfish level here. I did an interview with, uh, Joaquin Neiman 
for our magazine, which, you know, comes out a few weeks after the interview runs, obviously. And in the interview, he's talking about, oh, yeah, it's going to be tough. We're going to be on different tours next year. Uh, Want to be world number one. My focus is on the PGA Tour, et cetera, et cetera. The week the magazine hits shelves, of course, is the week that he um, announces that he is going to live. So I imagine you had a lot more lead time on some of those decisions. But were, were there any that jumped out of nowhere? Nah. It was none that jumped out of nowhere. I read your article. It would have been good if it was correct, but unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, things changed. You know, there's many reasons as to why these players had to play it in this particular manner. I don't agree with all of them, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not my life. It's their life and their decision and their career and talent, and they have to decide how they're going to go about it. Uh, was I disappointed? Uh, that we lost some players that would have ordinarily have been on the team? No doubt. No doubt. Uh, you know, you look at the players in question there, whether it be Smith, Neiman, Anser, you know, those guys were a huge part of our core group throughout the process and in 2019 down in Australia. Uh, you could throw Louis Oersteisen in there as well. Um, he, he would not have been in the automatic eight qualifiers at the end when, when the cutoff came for our qualification period. Um, but nonetheless, he would have had an opportunity to get a captain's pick. And, uh, and yeah, so I was disappointed that uh, we had to deal with that. The Americans had something similar, but they have an extremely deep bench with a lot of youngsters coming through. So it probably didn't cause Davis as many sleepless nights as it did for me. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. You, you, you can't cry about it. You can't moan about it. You can't make excuses. Uh, like I said, we have 12 players that are hungry. They're excited to be there. They're excited to have this opportunity. Uh, they were loyal. They knew that if they stay on the PGA Tour, they're going to have an opportunity to play in the President's Cup. And I will say that all the players that left uh, – had a, a uh, just so that there's no misunderstanding here, they had a very clear understanding and perspective mm. of what the consequences would be with the decisions that they were making. And so when they made those decisions, they factored all of these things in. And it was a part of the process for them deciding what they were going to do. And so that's why I say 12 players that wanted to be there and 12 players that wanted to be on the team. And really, at the end of the day, um, when we get into the battle and into the fight, those are the 12 that I want there. Let's talk about those 12. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the guys who are actually on your team. Uh, part of the team building thing that captains have to do is they have to look at this course, which is the stadium you're playing in, and then they have to kind of look at the stats that players have, how far Taylor Pendrith hits the ball, things like that. How much of your decision-making went into, I need guys that'll do well at Quail Hollow, and how much of it was, I just need the best players that I can choose from? It's a little bit of everything. you gotta, you got to dial all of that stuff in. You start with the, with the course that you're going to play, and you understand what's taken place there over the years. There's a ton of uh, information to gather um, because of all the events that we've had there. Uh, whether it be uh, major championships like the PGA, 
or tour events since the early 2000s. So there's a lot of things that you can learn looking at the golf course. And then, you know, how players have been playing coming into this final stretch, the final piece of the qualification period. Uh, so current form was a huge part of it as well. And then also you've got to try and understand the matchups, whether it be an alternate shot or embedded ball. So who is going to be able to match well together? You're looking at combinations of golf ball. You're looking at dialing two players together, whether it comes back to the golf course and how the routing is going to be. And then also a huge part of it is, you know, what is the collective group and attitude going to be in the locker room? Mm -hmm. Is there going to be any drama from particular players? Is there going to be a distraction from particular players? Or is everybody going to be rowing in the same direction? So there's a whole host of things that you are considering as you make those choices and, and selections. So was, was there a captain's pick that was just absolutely a knockout decision for you that you never even thought about it? No brainer that maybe surprised other people? Like, was there a guy that you knew was always going to kind of be on this team for those reasons you just kind of laid out? Uh, I think... I, look, I love all of them. That's why I picked them. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I think Pendrith could have caught some people off off guard. He's a rookie on the PGA Tour. Uh, fans at home probably weren't used to seeing his name because he had four months off in the in the, in the yeah. middle of the season and missed a bunch of big, big events with a really unfortunate injury uh, with his rib. But... You know, in the last month of that qualification period, he was coming on so strong. He was playing brilliant golf. He was playing inspired golf. Uh, you know, the last seven events he played, six of them where he was in the top 13. And you throw that uh, in with the, the second that he had at the Rocket Mortgage. So you got a feel of being in the hunt um, as he did last fall before the injury. And you match that stuff with this golf course, the fact that he's top 10 in driving distance. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that it, it really was a no-brainer. Uh, but, you know, the average armchair critic is hitting me up on Twitter going, you know, what, what the heck are you thinking? But for me, that was pretty much a no-brainer. What are you most looking forward to from next week, from President's Cup week itself? What, what has you excited? The competition. The competition. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fierce. Um, the 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 chance to go up against this American team that is stacked top top to bottom, maybe the best uh, American team ever put together. They come in there with a ton of confidence after the way they played at the Ryder Cup. They got a, a bunch of youngsters. Uh, they're playing on home soil, uh, so just the opportunity to go up against them. It's going to be a huge moment for us to. Uh, to sit back at the end of the week and see just how good we are and uh, what adjustments we may need to make going forward. My final question for you, Trevor, is from a player's perspective, these weeks are so different uh, in you know an endless number of ways. What are they like from, from a player's perspective? You've been on multiple teams. Are the differences so grand that you get distracted? Like, is it, is it formidable to be a part of the 
international team and and think gosh we are underdogs here like what is it like from uh the player's psyche well it's it's a it's a manic week there's there's a ton going on from the minute you get there whether it be the sunday night or the monday morning there's a lot going on uh you're being pulled in a ton of different directions whether it be you know final wardrobe and clothing fittings whether it be hitting all the pre-tournament media team dinners event functions photo ops so uh there's a lot going on for the players and 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 what i've been saying to them and what i learned through the process when when i was playing is you got to bring your game have your have your game ready to go because there is not a ton of time to practice mm. so you're going to get out on the golf course tuesday and wednesday and that's going to eat between 3 and 5 hours depending if you go 9 or 18 and right after that you're going to be having lunch and you're going to be going to media or you're going to be um you know part of some team talk or something like that and so there really isn't an opportunity to hit the range for a couple hours or you know go and chip and putt for a couple hours you got to bring your game and you got to be ready so that's the difference to me between uh these these team events whether it be the Ryder Cup or President's Cup or regular week on tour where a guy you know may spend 4 or 5 hours on the range between Tuesday and Wednesday. So you got to come ready and um and then when you're playing away from home, so we're playing here in the US this time, you have to be ready mentally for the crowd. Uh, I think it was something that we were not prepared for in New York mm. in 17 and it affected a lot of people on our squad. whether it be a few players or whether it be um our support team or significant others and so you got to be ready for that and you got to be able to either block that out or uh, help it fuel your fire so you can take your pick which route you want to take but you better be ready for it so um those are the kinds of things nuances and beauties of playing in this kind of a team competition i can't i can't wait for it it's going to be great You've spent a lot of time with these guys. Who's going to be the tone setter, the leader in the locker room and then who is uh who's maybe like the funniest guy or, or someone that's whose sense of humor we might not fully understand without spending some time around them. Yeah, look, Adam Scott is the the on-course leader. This is going to be his 10th Presidents yeah. Cup. Crazy. Which is um you know, it's it's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. Yeah. The fact that he's been able to stay on these teams for two decades. and be at this elite level for that long. Uh we really do tip our cap to him and um give him a ton of respect for that. He's been a huge part of the process for me throughout uh these last two years. He's he's one of my closest friends anyway. We grew up playing junior golf together and have been close ever since. So um he's been a guy that I've leaned on and relied on a lot through this process. And um You know, I was so impressed by the last few weeks in the playoffs when, you know, he he really was well outside the top 30 in the FedEx Cup standings and he just kept telling me I don't want you to pick me. I want to earn my way. I want to earn my way. And you know, the way he played, that played that inspired golf those first two playoff events. I'm going to say he was fifth both weeks. Played his way into the um the tour championship like that meant a lot to me and that meant a lot to our team um so he he's the inside the ropes leader and uh there's no doubt about that 
As far as a guy that would catch you off guard, there's a number of them. Uh, the Korean guys are funny. They are <laughs> funny. Great sense of humor. Uh, K.H. Lee is sneaky funny with these one-liners uh, and the, the way he puts it into English and, and, and throws it out there at the right time. He, he has us laughing quite, quite regularly. See Woo Kim is another. And uh, then Tom Kim, he's going to be the life of the party. I yep. mean, this kid is 20 years old. Yeah. He has more energy than any of us. He is super excited at all times and always on the go, always needing to be doing something, uh, wants to know what's happening next. And so he he's going to bring the energy for sure. I love it. Well, Trevor, thank you for your time. Good luck next week. You got me pulling for you. I think Dylan's in the same boat now. We have committed to Team International for the President's wow. Cup, and uh, well, you've earned two more two more supporters, <laughs> right, Dylan? I love it. I love it. I love it. Bring your friends. Bring our friends. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Trevor. We'll see you down there next week. Yeah, great to hang with you guys. Look forward to seeing you. So we were planning on that just being the podcast with Trevor, uh, and then, of course, as it always happens, when you kind of press uh, stop, when you stop recording – that's kind of when things get really good. And so we had theoretically pressed stopped, but we really were still recording and asked Trevor a pretty simple question, tossing away. And I thought he gave us a pretty impassioned pump up speech really for why the president's cup matters. Yeah. Why and it exists. So he, I loved it. Yeah. Why it exists. So here is that for the next two minutes. You know, one of the things that kind of gets under my skin at times is that, that, uh, you know, people just want this tournament. A lot of people just want this tournament to go away. Mm. And they speak poorly of it. And they try and make our team out to be a joke. But we love this competition. We want to play this competition. Yeah. And as, as young kids growing up outside of the U.S. and Europe, you know, this is our one shot to, to go up against the best, go up against the Americans in a team format. And so, so we, we love it and we, you know, we have a ton of passion. Thank you again. This is fun. And, uh, hopefully, well, I won't be down there, but Dylan will be down there. So I'll be cheering from afar. Okay, cool. Well, uh, it's going to be a great week. If the weather cooperates, I promise you this, this will be a golf event like we've never seen in this country before. Hell yeah. Wow. I love Good. it. All right, Sweet. we got to use it. We'll keep that part on the pod. <laughs> uh, take care, though, Trevor. I appreciate you jumping Thanks, on. Thanks, Trevor. All right, guys. Have a good one. See ya. Cheers. All right, Dylan. That was Trevor Immelman. Loved our conversation with him. And before we talk about it any further, we've got to talk about one more thing, and that is fairway jockey. Sean, when you talk about custom equipment as much as our colleagues do all the time. We often get asked by friends, look, what's the best place to get custom gear? And the answer is simple. It's fairwayjockey.com. It's really the most affordable way to buy custom built clubs. So see for yourself, build your set today at fairwayjockey.com. Check it out. What was your favorite part of the Trevor Immelman interview? I think my favorite part was well, he's very forthright, but he's also intentional in how he uses his language. So he both made it clear that he understood why guys were not on his team while then doubling down on how much he appreciates the guys that made the choice to be on his team. So I thought mm -hmm. he, he was very clear in saying, look, the guys that joined Live, 
They knew what they were getting into. They knew what they were signing up for and what they were signing up for was not being on this squad. So look, Cameron Smith can say, yeah, look, I hope to still play on the president's cup team. He knew exactly what was going to happen. So the guys that have chosen to stay that have, that have signed up for this squad, they want to be there. And these are the guys that Sean are going off at plus seven fifty. If you look at some sports books right now to win this event, uh, what was your favorite part? My favorite part was that last part, honestly, where he just kind of said like, this is not a joke. <laughs> the, 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 the president's cup is an event that the internationals deeply care about and, just because the Americans have had a lot of success in it and just because the Ryder Cup has maybe changed hands a little bit more does not mean that like this isn't a huge deal to them and they have passion for it. And I think a lot of people oftentimes will, they'll say stuff like, oh, you know, make the President's Cup a mixed gender event or you know, let's change the President's Cup to include players from here or there, maybe continental Europe or whatever. And it's at the same time, people say like, what can we do to have the president's cup be like the Ryder cup? I think you just got to be patient. (laughs) Like if you, if you actually boil this down, if live golf didn't exist, I know that's not the world we live in, but if live golf didn't exist, this international team would have Cam Smith, probably Louis Oosthuizen, probably Joaquin Neiman, probably Abe answer. Like just because it has, maybe not been the most competitive event for the last two decades. Doesn't mean that they're for last ever. Yeah. Doesn't mean that there isn't like a very distinct like crop of great players from Korea, from Canada, from South Africa, from Australia. Like I just don't want people to look at the results or even the the preamble and the underdogs and the odds to think like, oh, this thing doesn't matter. It's not worth paying attention to. He's pumped up. They're pumped up. And I think, like, if anything's going to carry them, it's going to be their psyche, like, to, to the, the feeling of underdogs, the, you know, handling themselves amid, you know, raucous American fans down in Charlotte. Like, I got more excited about the President's Cup just by talking to him. He's been, he's been the one living it for months and months and months. Living it is right, Sean. Uh, <laughs> the last President's Cup was so much fun. 2019. Royal Melbourne, one of the great golf courses in the world. But man, it feels like a long time ago. If you look at some of these rosters, I mean, there's only three guys that are still on the team from the international side. Um, that's what, Sungjae, Adam Scott, and Hideki. Everyone else has turned over. If you look at the U.S. team, Tiger Woods was playing on that team. He was a playing captain. It was so cool. Uh, I mean, but yeah, that was a tiger crash and a pandemic ago. Matt Kuchar was on the squad at that point. Gary Woodland, Ricky Fowler was a captain's pick. So we have definitely, uh, we've, we've come a little bit, uh, a little bit of a way since then, Sean. So I think it could not be a, a much more different golf course either going from firm, fast Royal Melbourne to uh, big beefy, green enormous quail hollow yeah i don't i think the i think the talk of blowout is overdone um yeah i think sean we're talking about match play golf here we're talking about something that is about as random as it gets um and we're also talking about an international squad that yes they're not big names 
but some of these guys' games is actually pretty well suited for Quail Hollow. There will be some better statistical analysis, you know, in the coming days than what I'll give you here, but essentially what Quail Hollow is, is a big golf course. You need guys that hit it very far and ideally find the fairway. You need guys that are going to be really good on uh, approach shots from, you know, in that 175 to 200 yard range, you get some long par threes. The guys that do well there are pretty big, pretty straight hitters. You look at winners there like Rory, uh, like Max Homa. Um, and then you look at the international side and you see a lot of guys that are above average in distance that are long straight ball hitters that really punish the greens and aren't necessarily great putters and aren't necessarily great around the greens. And guess what? At Quail Hollow, that's kind of okay. You can you can yeah. have a pretty good week without excelling at that. I mean, Hideki, Sungjae, Corey Connors, like Mito mm-hmm. Pereira, three, four, five, Adam Scott, great ball strikers who are not as good around the greens. And then you've got a couple bombers, Cam Davis and Taylor Pendrith. There is a road. There's a path for at least a competitive cup, even if it's not an international side victory. Yeah, I, I I also think that there's always some sort of very odd simmering momentum or lack thereof when it comes to these team events, especially with the Americans. So we always play Ryder Cup one year, President's Cup the next year. And as much as they're different events, they're owned and dominated, whatever, by different entities, governing bodies, they j- tend to have a ton of, of crossover in terms of who's playing. And... Last year's Ryder Cup needed to be won by the Americans. You're playing at home. You're playing at Whistling Straits. The Europeans beat you in France. You got to have it. Well, you know what also needed to be a victory for the for the uh, American team? That 2017 Cup uh, coming off the heels of like Hazel Teen. It's like, okay, if we can beat the Europeans, we got to be able to beat the internationals like in New York. I know that there's a lot of things that will tell you that it's going to happen, but I just think that there's also potential for like a little bit of like a a letdown. Last year was this blowout victory at Whistling Straits. There hasn't been nearly as much cohesion, I think, uh, among the American players this year. There's been a lot of vacation happening in the post-British Open, Mm, post-FedEx Cup world. What has Kevin Kisner been up to? What has Jordan Spieth been up to? Like the... The run up to Whistling Straits was this like we need to get this thing done. I don't they care. They squeezed what in you're an doing. extra team trip there beforehand. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm not saying that they're not taking this seriously. They 100 percent are. But they're not necessarily doing an arm in arm. Like they're not right around each other at all times. I think the international squad kind of has been. They've probably been spending more time together. They made their own special trip recently to Quail Hollow. Now, all of that being said, I'm basically making the argument for it. I'm trying to will to manifest this thing yeah. into being a lot closer than it will be. At the end of the day, you got Davis Love, the guy from the Southeast. You got Webb Simpson, assistant captain, guy from Quail Hollow, or who hails and plays out of there. And then you have the the best Americans and the like, some of the best players in the world. Like it, it essentially is amounts to the team that won at Whistling Straits last year maybe even better than them. So (laughs) yeah, I'm going to talk about both sides of my mouth, but I want it to happen. I want it to be close. And because it is match play, like you said, anything can happen. 
It really can't. We're not just saying yeah. that. All these all these dudes are sample sizes. Both like, that's all it zero. boils down to. Yeah. It all boils down to sample sizes. Joel Damon, not on any of these teams. He's a sample size. He happens to have his peak of his sample take place at Brookline. Then it didn't translate to the Scottish Open with me. But then it'll it'll peak somewhere else. And like it's completely plausible. That sounds like that you Sebastian absolving Munoz. yourself of any uh, responsibility <laughs> for right. missing the cut on the back of Joel Damon. <laughs> but the point is, who is to say that Taylor Pendrith, who has not won on the PGA Tour, maybe he plays the best golf of his life at Quill Hollow. Maybe he just maybe continues the- to play the golf that he's been playing. I mean, he's been actually one of the <laughs> best performers on the planet his last handful of starts. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's... There's some talent on both sides. Both these guys get paid to play golf for a living. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, you've been flying the Corey Connors flag for years now. Oh, that... have I ever? Yeah. Uh, the problem with been... Corey Connors, before we get too high on Corey Connors, the problem with Corey Connors is he's not he's not the guy that you would necessarily hand a putter to if you had your life on the line. Um <laughs> And at a certain point, that does feel important in match play. But the thing is, he if you wanted to hit a fairway and hit a green, he'd be on the short list of those guys. So, you know, you kind of see either one there. I love the idea of a little Canadian pairing of Corey Connors and Taylor Pendrith just yeah, ball striking this place feels- to death, potentially overpowering it. There's some really fun pairings. I mean, Sungjae and Tom Kim could really win over some hearts if you look at in yep. that direction. Sebastian Munoz and Mito Pereira, they room together pretty often on the road. Um, Hideki and Adam Scott, mm-hmm. don't you think that's going to be a team? Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, it's interesting. It's, it's uh, you know, they, they truly do both start at zero. That plus 750 number is a lot more appealing than taking the U.S. at minus 700. I will say that. <laughs> no doubt. So in terms of the appearance of the Americans team, these actually feel sort of obvious too. Yeah. Like Cantley and Xander. As confirmed wow. on, on last week's <laughs> drop zone. That is a pairing we will see. Uh JT and Jordan Spieth love playing together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they fit together. Like we'll see the them at some haven't... point there, I would say. Um yeah. Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler feels like we're definitely Lock. gonna see them at, at least at least a couple times, I would say. Absolute lock. Um then it gets weird. Because Colin Morikawa paired extremely well last year with DJ. Mm, yep. And we won't be seeing that. Uh, Max Homa, rookie. I think his game fits with anyone. I could see him and Morikawa playing well together. Cowboys, right? They're homies. Um, that feels obvious. Tony Finau, maybe him and Cameron Young. Guys are just like demolish the golf ball. Yeah. They, they don't necessarily fit with any one other person. Cam Young doesn't have Will Zalatoris to play with. That would have been a lock, I think, if uh, if Kevin Kisner wasn't on this team. It is funny. Zalatoris I mean, was healthy. as we go through these, we're sort of talking about what makes the most sense. It, it actually will be interesting to see if the international side goes away from all of what we just suggested because they have gotten way more analytical. They've gotten obsessed with, uh, with complementary pairings in terms of statistical fits. So, I mean... Yeah, my natural instinct is to put Corey Connors and Taylor Pendrith to the, together because they're the two Canadians. That may not be their profiles may not align in the way that that side likes. So definitely don't look at those as a as a strict prediction. I think the reason why 
you're going to see huge odds or difference is because there are actually more points in this event than mm. in the other event. Larger sample size. Yes. Um, well, for one, it gets kind of, there's also an extra day, right? There's day one, which is five foursomes matches. So that's just five alternate shot matches. There's way more randomness in that format. You could see the internationals leading after day one. It Just because of there's the most randomness. Day two has five four ball matches. So then things kind of like settle down. Day three has four four balls and four foursomes. And then day four is the 12 singles. So all of that is to say the reason the odds get so long is because there's two more matches. <laughs> and on day one and on day two, pretty much everybody on your team has to play. So if you have any glaring weaknesses beyond like your core six, that's when you get the huge, like that's when you get Tom Kim and Sung Jay going against <laughs> Xander and Cantley, who are just kind of machines. So again, we're going to talk out both sides of our mouth. We just, I just want people to care about this event because it's actually important to the Ryder cup. Everyone is always going to care more about the Ryder Cup. I don't really see a future while I'm covering the game where this is a bigger event than the Ryder Cup. But it is important to the Ryder Cup. There is a reason why next year in January, there's this thing called the Hero Cup, which is, uh, isn't it like Great Britain and Ireland against continental Europe yeah. or something like that? And so the reason that exists is because it used to exist and it used to be a great way to find pairings and to figure out what's going to work for the Ryder Cup. And it's happening in January, it's happening in Dubai, and it's the Europeans' answer to getting their absolute asses kicked at Whistling Straits. More team cohesion. The President's Cup exists not for that exact reason, but for some ways that reason for the Ryder Cup. Like it does matter. If you want to see if Cam Young has what it takes. If Max Homa should be on next year's cup team in Rome, this is the battleground for that in many ways. If our listeners are heading to the window, if they're checking out some props for uh, for who's going to win the most points on each side, is there anywhere you see potential value recognizing that we do not have odds currently available? Well, what you got to do is you got to figure out who's playing the most matches. That's the first bet, right? Because like I don't think we saw Dustin Johnson playing five matches last year at Whistling Straits. We did not see that did coming. See, did, did not see him winning all of them. Did not see, like, in his place, someone like Morikawa sitting for a match or or what have you. Um, JT, I believe, sat for a match. Hideki's going to play all five matches. Yep. He's the best, best player on that team, would you say? Yeah. <laughs> and so he'll have the shortest odds, but... He has the best chance to maybe win three matches. Um, on the American side, feels like Scotty Scheffler is going to play all the matches. Feels like Xander's going to play all the matches. Um, I I would not bet on Spieth. He doesn't feel like a five-match guy to me, does he? No, I don't think he's a five-match guy. I mean, maybe that's why you get value is in some of those captain's picks that end up playing more than you think or, or end up going 4-0 or something. Um, Cameron Young is interesting to me. I mean, he he nearly won Quail Hollow this year while losing strokes gained putting. So he's certainly someone I expect to play well. Um, but, you know, I mean, if you could get the same odds on any guy, you would have to look at 
at that Xander Cantlay pairing because they're not going to let up. Um, Scotty is proven to be a good match play golfer and also good at every form of golf. Uh, you may be able to get better odds on Sam Burns, who may be a Scotty partner, but then maybe he wins his, yes. his singles match and Scotty loses. Hard to know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look a little bit further down the board because it's not usually the most obvious. Guy. Or just look at Xander and Cantlay because yeah. so they're not going to sit first two days. They will not sit. Doesn't matter. No, definitely not the first two days. So they'll play at least four matches each. And so at the very least, they play the like the the least that they'll play would be day one lose, day two you get a chance to come back, day three um, you play one out of two. Chances are they're going to win their first match, then they're going to come out for day two, probably win their second match. At which point Davis Love is you guys are playing all five. So uh, maybe just listen to Dylan's interview with Xander and take it to heart and then go bet on Xander to be your highest point winner because he played really well in the Ryder Cup last year too. There you go. Easy as could be. Um, Sean, I'm good. You all set? You got anything else you want to say? Uh, Well, just a shout out to the reason why I won't be down there. You're down at the President's Cup yeah. in Charlotte. I'm in Wisconsin at a wedding for my good friend Adam Knudsen. Uh, a golfer who, uh, who's his game resemble? I would say his game maybe resembles maybe Billy Horschel, mm. you know, kind of just like solid, gets a little fiery. Um, Adam, I'm going to his wedding. That's why I won't be at the, at the president's cup. So shout out to him and you have a ball down there and uh, we will, we'll see you when you get back. Sounds good. You can follow along golf.com. We will uh, have a lot of a lot of good stuff coming from on the ground at Quail Hollow. All right, Sean, for me and you, this has been the Drop Zone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.